Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. That's something that seems to be popping up more and more. And everybody has their own right to get a captain's license and become a fishing guide. I just believe that there's qualifications that should be there before. It's just too simple. And uh, it's too simple to, to get that boat and get out there on the water and, hey, I got my... I got my ticket, let's go. I kind of believe that there should be more in place. It's too simple. That's, that's just my belief. I mean, yeah, it sounds like maybe I'm biased because, you know, or, you know, I, I've come from a family of fishing, but why doesn't Joe Schmo have that opportunity? And, and it's unfair for me to say that. But I just believe that there should be more time put in. There should be more time on the water, more qualification. And, um, it, it, they're they're coming out of the woodworks and at, at a certain point you saturate your area and it's like all right well you've spread out the business so much that it, it makes things difficult for everyone i'm matt bud and this is the tom roland podcast That was Captain Matt Budd. We're talking about the balance between people being able to do whatever they want to do, become a hunting guide, a fishing guide, following your passion, and also following a path that um, that's kind of the right way versus the wrong way. A path that creates respect from those around you and a path that creates resistance from those around you. Uh, we talk so much about so many other things, including his Jupiter Fishing Academy, which is a camp for kids, which I was very impressed with. I saw it firsthand when I was fishing with Matt. I enjoy fishing with Matt. Matt is a guy that uh, I'm very impressed with. He has a commanding understanding of his fishery and the bait and the way the whole thing works. He fishes both commercially and recreationally as a as a charter boat captain. He comes from he's a second generation 
fishing guide and commercial fisherman, and he has a really good understanding of the industry, of how it works, and really enjoyed this conversation with him uh, with some different different points of view than, than we've been saying a lot of times on this podcast. A lot of times, you know, I'm encouraging everyone to do what they want to do, follow your passion, do whatever. But, you know, is there another side to that? Is there a place where that there's too much of that? I don't know. We'll investigate it on this conversation. There's certainly a way to do it better than others. And that's what we're going to talk about. My friend, Matt Budd. All right. I'm here with Matt Budd. Matt is a captain that I fished with one time and was very impressed. I was able to go fishing with you in the Jupiter Inlet. You made time for me and my son in your busy schedule. And something happened really cool on the way in. You're like, I got something in the morning. I can't, I can't fish with you till the afternoon. We were coming through Jupiter. I was like, that's cool. And you pulled up with this boatload of kids and they got out of the boat and they were just, I mean, on top of the world to say the least. Their parents came to pick them up. They all caught all these huge fish. It was really cool. And then as we go out fishing, we start talking about that. And that's the Jupiter Fishing Academy which is what you run, right? Yep, yep, that, that's what it is. So how did that start? What is the Jupiter Fishing Academy? First off, I want to thank you for having me, Tom. Absolutely. The Jupiter Fishing Academy is something that's been on my mind for a long time. You know, growing up, I'm second generation captain. My dad was always busy, and I didn't get a lot of chances to fish on his boat. And I said, I, I wish there was some kind of kids camp or some kind of way I could go fishing because you know he was always booked and it was just hard for me to get out on the boat i said what if there was a kids camp where it actually taught you these things and you got to catch real fish rather than a kids camp where you walk around on sea walls or they let you Mm -hmm. go in a public dock kind of thing and uh so it's it's always been on my mind and i guess what was it four years ago i finally finally said i'm gonna i'm gonna try this um i didn't do a lot of advertising i just kind of like hand out flyers at local tackle shops because I don't have a lot of room. I take what I do is I take up to six kids and it's half day charters and we do four half day charters during the week. And I teach them everything from A to Z. When it comes to the river, we do two days inshore and two days offshore. And I mean, we catch everything from snook and jacks in the river on top water. I show them how to rig. I show them, you know, good areas. I show them navigation. I say, Hey, look, you know, the clouds are building up. It's, it's getting late and, you know, afternoon thunderstorms in the summer. I just kind of just whatever's on my head. I, I, I kind of give them information, you know, the kind of things you wouldn't normally talk to your charters about because it's just not it's just not worth mentioning. But I want to fill these kids with education. I want them to have knowledge and also safety. So it's just a little program I've designed that these kids that have a passion for fishing, they can really take advantage of it with my my summer camp. That's really cool. So do you think that like most of the kids that are coming, are they coming for a week or are they coming for longer or shorter or like what's the average? And are these like local kids or, or are they coming vacation kids? I don't know. It's, what all, it looks it's like. all local kids. And what happens is pretty much most of the time, the kids that come, they come every year. Um, I've got kids that'll sign up for two or three weeks at a time. And I only run it four or five weeks out of the summer because I've got charters to fulfill. And, you know, I just, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta fish with my, my customers also. And so that takes up half my day, but 
pretty much those kids tell their friends and they tell their friends. And that's how I, you know, I don't even advertise because I only have room for six kids, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's a limited right. amount of time. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same kids most of the time over and over until they get to the point where now I've had kids who were, who were 12 and it's been four years and now they're 16 and they're kind of too old. I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, you're a little older than what, uh, right. what I normally take. So you'd have to either book a charter or they, they stick Soon around. Those kids are going to be getting their captain's license. I, 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 mean, I, I would imagine so. They seem pretty inspired and they, they even asked to come donate their time and be a mate on the boat. That's cool. That's yeah. really cool because like when they start, I don't know, you always, you always hear like people say that, you never fully understand something until you teach it to others. And so like in that situation where you're teaching these kids and then they turn and teach it to other kids, that's pretty cool. Like Absolutely. if you could get that I mean, going. The thing about it is it's, is we're, we're educating the future of fishing and we want them to see things the right way, should I say. And I also want to get them off to a good start with, with everything as far as, you know, just, just, navigating the channel properly and giving people the respect they deserve when you see their fish. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I was like, I was thinking, you know, when you say getting people started in the right way, you know, etiquette is such an important thing. And like you went straight into it, like how to give people enough room, how to, how to know what somebody's doing, you know, from a distance and be like, okay, well, if you go on this line, you're messing them all up. And so is that something that you're really paying attention to? Because in that Jupiter Inlet, I mean, there's not a lot of room there. Like you could easily mess people up, right? <laughs> well, there's also <laughs> only really one school of fish too. So it's, it's kind of, yeah. Kinda, but like there's that. also the fact that it's a navigable channel and you got to go in and out of there. So yeah, like there's a real fine balance there to like giving somebody the room that they need, but also you need to get in and out of there. Do you talk about that with the, with the kids? Absolutely. Absolutely. I bring everything up. You know, when I pull in there and I see that there's two boats fishing the school of fish, I'll say, you know what, let's go, let's go run down the beach and do something else for a little bit. They're like, what? Whoa, no, no, we want to catch stuck. I'm like, listen, you know, these guys were here first. They're fishing the school of fish. Honestly, if we pull up, we'll just be hindering what they're doing, getting in their way, and it'll make it difficult for everyone. So let's not crowd them. We'll go run down the beach, look for tarpon or whatever it is. But you know, that's, that's just something I, I, I do. And they'll say, Hey, look at all the boats down the beach over there, you know, usually on a pot of bait or whatever they're doing. They're saying, let's go down there. I'll say, no, we're going to go the opposite way. We don't want to be in the middle of that cluster of boats <laughs> and just, just try and yeah. let them know, you know, you can do your own thing. You don't have to go chase other boats. Yeah. Boy, that's a, that is getting them off to the right start. That's cool, man. And then what about the bait catching? Are you, uh, obviously, I mean, you're really good at catching bait. So I show them everything. Is that, are you bringing that, you're, you're bringing that in and teaching them how to throw the net and everything? Yeah, we have, on the first day, I bring about six or seven, six foot nets out and teach them about throwing the nets on the sandbar at low tide. Then, you know, when we graduate the next day after we, we play around the river a little bit, we go out and we'll fish near shore basically and, and all. I'll teach them how to catch the croakers and the sand perch and everything like that for snook bait. And they'll watch me and they'll say, Hey, can I bring a net too? And I'll let them play around and throw the net on the beach. And, and they, they watch me gather bait. And then in the second day, we'll go either sabiki up sardines or I'll just throw the net. But a lot of the time I'll sabiki them 
you know, better quality baits. And um, mm -hmm. I'll say, all right, before you guys tie on sabikis, and they, you know, I'll make them do it themselves. <laughs> and they get to right. deal with tangling up the sabiki and untangling it. And eventually <sighs> it all gets there. But, but you know, that's just something they have to know. And, and they got to learn it. And they got to learn what it feels like getting that little jiggle of a bait on the sabiki and how to string them upright and take them off the hooks. And so they, they, they pretty much get everything, full experience. Man, that's cool. That's really cool. I mean, because I've had so many people send me emails and they're like, hey, do you know any summer camps where kids go fishing? And it's really hard to find. I mean, you can find plenty of camps where fishing is an activity, but it's not the activity. It's not like, okay, these kids are going to come here and they're going to go away and they're going to be well on their way to being a competent angler. Like, in whatever, freshwater, fly fishing, saltwater, uh, inshore, offshore, whatever. So what you're doing, I thought that was really cool. I mean, I, I thought about that as soon as we left. I was like, wow, man, that's cool. And even my son was there. He's like, I wish I had gone to a summer camp. It's like, you live in a summer camp for fishing. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, last summer, last summer we had a kid caught a 45-inch snook. And wow. we went offshore the next day. And another kid who's 10 years old. For three and a half hours, fought over three hundred pound blue marlin. <laughs> wow! Unbelievable. I'm thirty pound test. I'm thirty pound braid. I'm spinning outfit. And, and so, we were that. you targeting marlin with no. these kids, or we, we went offshore some thread fins and we made a drift for sails or black fins out in the deep. And his rod had it looked like a sail bite. I said, "All right, it's in it's in a bait runner mode." I said, "Go ahead and pick it up." And when you feel the weight come tight, it's a circle hook. And he came tight. And I said, man, that kind of just looks weird. I was like, that, I don't know <laughs> if a shark ate it or what. And it just looked heavy. Then all of a sudden, it started rising up. I'm like, you got something really big. And I don't, I don't want to say what I think it is, but it's big. And it all of a sudden did like a kind of a hound kind of jump. Just did like a skip. And I saw it out of mm. the corner of my eye. I, goes, I go, that's something really big. It's a billfish. And they're asking me, what is it? What is it? I'm like. I don't want to say anything yet until it starts jumping. I don't want to say anything. Then all of a sudden it starts jumping and they're like, what is that? I'm like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a Marlin. <laughs> and that's not common out here for us by any means. Yeah. Threadfin. Wow. That's awesome, man. You know, I hadn't spent a lot of time in Jupiter before I came to see you. You know, I fished with Ryan Nitz up there and between those two or three times that I've been there now, God, that place is amazing i mean that just the fishery that you have inshore offshore the proximity to the bahamas the the freshwater fishing that you have i mean that's where you grew up right you grew up right in jupiter yeah that's where i grew up i've and, been real fortunate i mean that's got to be that's got to be one of the most versatile fishing locations anywhere do you think so have you ever Absolutely. been anywhere that that rivals it it's tough. I mean, our, our fishing's really good. Um, I do see a lot of people catching fish all over the place now because of social media. Um, but our yeah. fishing is really good. I mean, we, we have a great fishing, an area for, for fishing year round. However, the one thing I can say is our river fishing in the winter really went to hell when the discharges started. I don't want to get into that subject. Everyone mm. knows about, you know, that, but, but that, you know, we still have big snook, but we don't have the numbers of snook we used to have in the backcountry in the wintertime. And that's what mm -hmm. kind of deters me from fishing back there in the winter. 
And that's, that's yeah. really disappointing on that part. I mean, there's still plenty of fish. It's just a tougher fishery now. Yeah. That's, um, well, do you feel like we're making progress towards any sort of a solution there with the, with the water quality? I mean, this year has been, been really big with the yeah. new governor and you know, a lot of the work that Captains for Clean Water and the other organizations have been doing. What, you know, you're right there where you've actually seen, you know, like you're talking, like this, this has definitely affected the numbers of the big snook back there. Um, what's your forecast? As far as our area, we only have, we, we have, we have the C18 spillway and that dumps in, but that doesn't come directly from Lake Okeechobee. We don't have direct Lake Okeechobee water, but mm-hmm. we do have water that comes in. It's high in phosphates and everything because there is, you know, some agricultural land out there west of us. But, but for the most part, we don't have the damage that Stewart has. Um, we, um, we don't get that green slime and everything, but the freshwater discharges do affect the estuaries back in Jonathan Dickinson, where I know you fished, and that's mm-hmm. where a lot of our juvenile fish used to be in, in, in really high numbers. We used to go back there when I was a kid, and you know, you'd see four or five guides lined up in one bend, and they'd be chumming and catch 50, 60, 70 snook on fly and, and light tackle back there. But they're all small fish, but those numbers of those those juveniles just aren't there, and I really have to believe that it has something to do with the freshwater intrusion and, and no more seagrass in the area also. So that's, you know, it's just, we're just not on the level of damage of Stewart. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, on the one hand, that's really good. On the other hand, it's, it's not great that you have any damage. And I guess that's, you know, that's one of the things that I've seen with captains for clean water is that they are, you know, I think they named themselves appropriately. Like it's captains for clean water. It's not captains to stop Okeechobee outflow or captains for, you know, this one little area, they like, I guess, you know, in my talks with them, they see the vision that there's, there are a lot of problems and somebody needs to be watching out for, you know, people like you, people like me, people like that live all over the state and, and seeing issues and are not prepared to do what those guys have done, like go and sit in all these meetings and, and go through the, all the political navigation that they've had to go through to get anything to happen. You know, it's good to have people like that out there for sure. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, you do, you do, um, not just charter fishing, but you also commercial fish still, right? Yeah. Like commercial fish half the year doing either Spanish mackerel or kingfish. And that's what, uh, what pays my bills half the year. Yeah. And so I noticed on your, you got a great Instagram and I like to follow it because you're, you're always, you know, you're showing just what you're doing. You're either, you know, snook fishing or whatever, but you're also working out, you're eating healthy, you're kind of living this lifestyle that's really cool. And, and you, you talk about it well on your Instagram. And one of the things that I thought we might talk about here is you eat a fair number of snook. And I'd like to, you know, you live in like this epicenter of snook fishing. So obviously you have a lot of them. Like, what's your feeling on keeping snook? Because they're obviously delicious. What's your feeling on on keeping snook at what time of the year? What size fish? Like, what is the appropriate way, you know, from coming from your perspective to manage that fishery, but also, you know, take what you need, release the rest, I guess. Well, I got to say I might eat one out of 
three snook that I catch. My mom lives up in Sebastian, and uh, I give her a lot of fish. I fish up there a lot. I spend a lot of time with the guys up there fishing up there, and uh, those a lot of those fish go to my mom and family up there. But I do eat a good amount of fish. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's organic, free range fish. Right. You know, basically, yeah. You, know, you, that- you can't buy that in the store. If you want a good protein source and, and the snook, you know, they're pretty low in mercury and, and you don't really have to worry about the things you do with, say, a slab of kingfish or swordfish. So mm-hmm. that's that's the one thing I really like about snook. But then, you know, you, you take into account the fact that, yeah, those are those are your fish that are going to be 38 inch fish in a couple of years. And those are good for business. And I, I, I have a lot of faith in FWC's programs. I worked with their programs when I was a kid, you know, they had the, 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 the tagging programs and they used to give you a t-shirt if you caught a tag snook. And I have, I had <laughs> so many t-shirts when I was a kid, but you know, Jim <laughs> Whittington at FWC, he, he, he was always the researcher and they were out there in the inlet tagging fish every day. And I have a lot of faith that they know what they're doing. And, and, um, you know, I, I'll probably keep 20, 30 fish a season when I'm allowed mm-hmm. to, you know, I, I might eat 15 of those fish. But I, like I said, I have a lot of faith in what they do, and I believe that they understand what they're doing. And I am in no way a scientist, but I believe that those big breeder fish are the ones that are going to spawn, and those are more important. And, and since we all know now with the slot rules and everything, those are protected fish. So I think I think everything's okay. I mean, as far as is one per person per day, that, that that's not that damaging. And there's not a lot of yeah. people that that really catch one every day. Yeah, that's that's really good to hear. Like that you feel like I mean sometimes the limits are are like really out of whack, yeah, and like they were on they were on permit and and they weren't necessarily on purpose. But you could have a head boat that could go out there, and it was like you know two per person per day or something. I don't know. I can't remember what the limit was before they made a change, but basically everybody on that boat could catch two. And that's way too many, you know, like, I mean, it's one thing if it's like every boat has only two people on it. Okay. I see that. But then, you know, sometimes there's like a rule that slips through kind of like that. And it's like, well, we didn't think about, you know, a boat with 60 people coming out here and getting on a school of permit and everybody keeps two like that you know, or whatever it was. And then, you know, rules get changed and and that definitely protects them. But occasionally you'll see that, that one rule. What's the limit on Pompano? Uh, Pompano for me, you know, cause that's my commercial fish that, that, that I use mm-hmm. to make a, a chunk of change every year. And that's, that's 250 per day. <laughs> that's wow. A lot of fish. Wow. Um, <laughs> I think I, I don't even know what it is recreationally. Is it 10 or no, it's six pretty sure it's sick. yeah and and that you feel like that's a that's also good numbers for the recreational anglers i do i do and and pompano has absolutely exploded in the last few years and, and you'll notice it at the beach when you go to the beach there's guys lined up down the beach for miles so so yeah there's a lot more pressure on pompano and i think that six is a good number um, but most of those guys you know are either retired or they're at the age where they can have a commercial license, the RS license, and they mm. they don't have to qualify because of their age, so they get that license, and now those guys are commercial fishing. So there's a lot of pressure on Pompano these days, and this year was actually like the best year I've seen in a while, surprisingly. Hmm. 
That's cool. Well, on your uh, on your Instagram, man, you're thumping them. It's pretty cool. Like was, I, I, we had a couple weeks. I want to go. I, actually, I want to go fishing with you on a commercial trip rather than just on a recreational trip. It looks way more fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's when you know. Well, well, you know, kind of like. I mean, anybody that's that's done some commercial fishing or kind of been on a boat that is doing commercial fishing or has fr- friends that are commercial fishermen. I mean, it's fun for a little while, and then it turns into work because that's like that's that's a paycheck, and you can't miss them, or you know, everyone you miss or your your knot breaks or something like that. You're, that's that's money, man. That's where the balance comes in for me. Everyone thinks you know being a guide is is great. You know I could do that. You know three hundred days, three sixty five. You know it, it's tough. No matter what you do for work, you're gonna eventually get to the point where you're like, I'm kind of getting burned out. And that's another beautiful thing about why you know I guide half the year and commercial half the year. You know half the year. Commercial fishing is rough. It's tough. It's rough. You get beat up. Your hours are ridiculous. Sometimes the fish house pays you half of what you expect. But on the other end, you don't have to deal with clients. You don't have to deal with being social. You can just go out there by yourself and fish. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that's great for me. You know, half the year I get to do that. And half the year, I can't wait to get away from the commercial scene. And I'm like, just get me out of here. I can't wait to work with people, have fun, watch people catch fish. So it kind of mm-hmm. keeps everything interesting for me. And that's just part of my lifestyle. You know, you got to keep yourself happy um, if you want to continue living your way of life and, and, and being successful. And for me, that's what's, yeah. what's worked. You know, I that's leave. so important, man. That's so important to keep, keep it fresh in some way, shape or form. I mean, a lot of people like, you know, they may work a long time and then they may, they may leave and go somewhere. Maybe they go to Montana or they go somewhere else for a short period of time or a month or two. They just kind of move and change it up. And I think that keeps people really fresh. Some people might fish out of the skiff, you know, for a certain part of the year, and then they might move to a bigger boat and fish offshore part of the year. I think that is enough to do it for some people. But it's it's just shaking it up, doing something different that keeps it exciting for you because i mean you're right man they're really guiding can be super fun and it can be super easy when the weather's nice and you've got a client he's bringing you lunch and he knows all about your family you've been fishing with these people for years that's fun you're you're having a great time but then there's lots of other days where you're earning it you're earning every penny you know because the weather's tough you're you're having you're dealing with new people. Same thing with commercial fishing. I mean, there's some days out there you you got your limit in no time, and you're going back to the dock. You got the rest of the day to do whatever. The fish house is paying great. I'm sure that's a fantastic day, but that's not the typical one, you know. <laughs> like like you're talking about, it can be rough and nasty. So I think that's cool that you're that you're you're breaking it up like that. What did it look like? Like you said, your dad was um, you're a guide too. So you're growing up. Now, did he fish commercially or just guiding? He had the licenses with me growing up before the economy really, really got bad. You know, we never had a chance to fish together. And, um, you know, he had he had a crazy business going on here in Jupiter. And um, then the economy kind of really took a crap. When was that? In the early 2000s or something? Yeah. 
and uh, yep. it really slowed down a lot. You know, his regulars weren't coming as regular. It just seems like the money everybody had to throw around wasn't there. It slowed down for him, and he said, you know what? I've got these licenses. Let's go kingfishing. Let's go do this, and, and it got to the point where me and my dad were fishing together, and uh, that's really what got me started in that. Um, and he started getting to the point where he was getting burned out on it. He said, Matt, you know, you're, you're 15, 16. You want to take the boat alone and do it? And so I said, yeah, I do. And so I started doing it on my own and working on my own in his boat when he didn't have charters. And that's um, that's how he got me into that. And so that would be almost like commercial kingfish and then pompano and other things, too. Or did you kind of when you were young like that, you focus on one? No, you know, in the winter, it was it was the Spanish mackerel because we get a great run of mm-hmm. Spanish mackerel right off St. Lucie Inlet there. Um, as winter starts, you know, turning into spring, the pompanos show up, cobias show up, and uh, the kings start trickling in. And, and we get them in the winter, too, the kings, but the live bait just isn't plentiful as it, it should be here in the winter. It's just tough. You know, you can get gogs, but you can't really find a lot of the baits we need unless you run around and really travel for it. So, you know, mackerel was the go-to thing. You know, as spring came around, then you, then you hit the kingfish. Yeah, that's cool. And and man, what what kind of feeling does that give you as a young man when you're when you're uh, single-handing a boat and bringing in your full? Like that's, yeah, that's for a 16-year-old kid, 17-year-old kid, that's got to that's got to feel pretty awesome. It is. And and you know, my dad's, you know, people call me a sporty and whatnot, but <laughs> but uh my dad my dad always taught me you know use rod and reel you know we don't need electric stuff we don't need you know all that craziness and and that's just how i've always fished and that's just something i've always instilled on other people i've tried to um we don't need to throw cast nets and, and gill nets or whatnot but that's just something that that i've felt was fair to the fish also and i there is conservation in me even though i commercial fish and that's just something i believe in so we, we live bait and rod and reel those kingfish one at a time. And if they get away, so be it. But I just believe that that's the right way to do it. And, and, and it's, it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. And so then how long did your dad stay with it? Does he still fish? He still guides. He, uh, he currently has a really good deal going with one of the local marinas here. And he's their private guy. He runs... They have a really crazy boat rental business going and they're just booming and he runs all their charters for people who don't feel comfortable driving the boat and don't know how to fish and want a guide to go. So he's like their full-time guy. So it works out great for him. Yeah, that's awesome. So one of the things that we had kind of discussed a little bit uh, leading up to this was so often you're seeing this, you know, that now... I guess there's a lot more boat manufacturers. Some of the manufacturers are offering boats at at less cost. The barrier for entry has kind of dropped. So there are a lot of new faces out there, some guides. How is it in your area, like as far as new people? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a topic that... <laughs> it's definitely a, an interesting topic. I mean... Uh... It can go in a lot of directions, but yeah, like I said, you know, when we talked earlier about it, that's something that seems to be popping up more and more. And everybody has their own right to get a captain's license and become a fishing guide. I just believe that there's qualifications that should be there before. It's just too simple. And uh, it's too yeah. simple to to get that boat and get out there on the water. And hey, I got my 
I got my ticket. Let's go. I, I kind of believe that there should be more in place. It's, it's too simple. That's, that's just my belief. I mean, yeah, it sounds like maybe I'm biased because, you know, or, you know, I, I've come from a family of fishing, but why doesn't Joe Schmo have that opportunity? And, and it's unfair for me to say that. But I just believe that yeah, there should be more time put in. There should be more time on the water, more qualification. They're coming out of the woodworks. At a certain point, you saturate your area and it's like, all right, well, you've spread out the business so much that it, it makes things difficult for everyone. Even though the guys that are established, they're going to have their regulars and people are going to know their reputation. They're going to get the charters. It's just, you know, when, when areas are saturated with guides, it just, it just makes things very difficult for those guys that have been doing it. Yeah, it definitely does. There's also the other, there's also the other in other side of the coin is that it self-regulates at some time at some, I mean, you would think that it self-regulates like there's only so many people that want to go fishing, but you're, you're exactly right that when you have more and more and more people, sometimes it makes it difficult for, you know, if there's only so much business, there's enough for so many people to make a living doing it. And then if that gets divided again, then nobody's doing that well. So I see that, I see that argument, but I also see the argument that there's only so many people that want to go fishing. And when they, when they go fishing and everybody's full, everybody's full. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is because I, you know, I'm one of those people that had no history of fishing in my family, none whatsoever. I had never been on a guided trip before. This was all foreign to me. It was something that I really wanted to do and found a way to to make it happen. Of course, when I found a way to make it happen, there weren't very many guides in Key West, um, and it wasn't a problem, although anyone knew was looked upon with great scrutiny. Like, I don't see that happening as it used to. Like if when there's only 18 guides and a new one shows up, everybody knows and nobody likes you. <laughs> I mean, nobody likes you. But when there's 150 guides and a new one shows up, hardly anybody even notices. And I think maybe that that could be kind of an issue because there was almost like a, a ritual of earning respect and, you know, letting people know who you were and walking up and introducing yourself to someone. And I don't know that that, you know, when there, when there's just more upon more upon more, I'm not sure that that ritual is still as evident. Do you, what do I mean? What do you think? I, I think that as far as, like you said, earning respect, I think that's an important thing. If you are the new guy, like I've seen many times, those guys will come in and, they'll be very respectful. They'll keep their distance. They won't bug you. They won't, you know, try and get in on your school of fish or anything like that. But then there's those other guys just don't respect that. They don't have boundaries. They don't have those ethics. <laughs> and uh, those are the kind of guys that really ruffle my feathers personally. Those people that know me know that I'm not, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I won't back down to that kind of thing or being bullied. And most people don't, you know, most guides on the water, they feel like, you know, they've earned, you know, spent years and they've earned their right to do what they do. So, so if a guide comes in and acts like that, you know, they're going to, that's what they're going to get. But there's those guys that are very respectful and they, they, they catch fish and they make charters happy and you hear nothing but good things. 
And that's how they earn their respect from other guides. And I think that's an easier way in than coming in and being pushed and um, invading. You know what I mean? So there's, there's, yeah. there's different ways to do it. Yeah. I don't know that the invading mentality is going to work with, you know, I mean, fishing guides, fishing guides are pretty alpha. I mean, there, there, there's a bunch of, you know, you have some, you have some kind of quiet fishing guides, but still some of those guys, some of the quiet ones are, are some of the ones that are the most territorial. They go way out of their way not to mess anybody up. This is what would get me the most upset is when I am really trying see a boat in the distance. Okay. Not going there. Plan B. Where's, where's that? What is that? Like that guy's fishing over there. I don't even want to go there. So let's go somewhere else. And you're, you're really trying to not bother somebody. You see somebody fishing in a channel, you, and it's high tide and you, you, you go way up on the flat to avoid the, the channel. So that you're not messing him up and you're doing everything that you can possibly do to, have your day go the way you want it to, but you're also um, really looking out to try to stay out of everybody else's way. And and I always thought, you know, there's no, there's nothing that can ruin a charter faster than altercations on the water. Two guides yelling and screaming at each other. Nothing makes your customers more uncomfortable than that. So, I mean, that was a major um reason to to avoid any altercation for me is like it's my my job is to show these people a good time that's not showing them a good time so it's probably better to even catch less fish and show them a good time than it is to 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 shoehorn my way up in here have everybody yell at me have my customers be unhappy and and maybe you catch the fish that you're that you were looking for but maybe maybe you don't but in a group of fishing guides Man, there's a lot of alphas there. I don't. I, I think that when you start pushing against something like that, you're only going to have it pushed back at you, like, like you're saying, like you're you're not backing down. Other guides are not backing down. That doesn't seem to be the the best approach to me as a new person coming into a new area. Yeah, and like you said, you know, none of your None of the customers want to see that happen on the charters. And, it, and if that happens on the charter, honestly, if your captain starts cursing and screaming, that's, that's just unproprofessional. You should never so unprofessional that on the charter. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. If, if, it, if it happens, the smartest thing your guide can do is keep his mouth shut, deal with it later. I mean, with the customers mm-hmm. on the boat, there's just no reason for any of that. you know, I, I I have never done anything like that on with my customers on the boat, but I've had my customers yell at people. <laughs> I've had my customers start screaming at people before who've, who've made bad moves, and I'm like, whoa, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, you're going to see that guy at the dock. And unlike uh, on social media, it may not go as well as you think it will. <laughs> like, you're yelling at that guy. We're probably going to be at the dock at about the same time, so... Be ready for Absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah. Things things are <laughs> things are a little different in real life than they are on on social. Media. Yeah, they sure are. Um, but you're you're exactly right. Like that, there's no place for that on a charter. Like God's yelling at one another on the water. That's that that's a bad that's a bad. That's situation. a trip ruiner for the customer. The customer will remember Absolutely. that, and the, it's just not what they want on their day off, relaxing with their family or catching fish. So, what do you think the 
what do you think the solution is? Like what, when you're seeing, when you're seeing, you know, new guides or, or maybe even a situation like, have you ever had a situation like maybe it's somebody that you've been fishing with for a while and then they decide that they're going to become a guide? Yeah, that, that, that's one of the other things that happens. You know, you, you take someone on a few charters, they kind of ask a lot of questions and, you know, you're used to questions and everything, but then, but then they stop coming, they stop calling and, and you start seeing them out in their boat and then they start calling you and saying, Hey, can I buy some bait off of you? And you're like, no, there's, you know, I'm not a bait man. I'm a charter captain. I sell my bait to my customers who buy charters. Then it gets to the point where they go out and they try and catch their own bait. You know, and they haven't done the time, so they don't catch their own bait. Then they go buy bait from a bait guy, which is fine. And then they start, like I've said, invading, you know, coming closer and closer until it's the point where they're spooking the fish or they're invading your area and getting too close. And, you know, your customers don't like it because it's messing up their fishing. And then that's that's kind of a an irritating thing. And, and at that point, they weren't even a guide yet. They're just, you know, they're just fishing and trying to learn things on their own. Which, which is just, you know, it's just human nature. Monkey see, monkey do is what I call it. But, um, it, it just, it gets to that point and then they continue and they catch some fish. And then before you know it, they're, they're posting up their picture, their captain's license. And that's just, you know, that's just part of life. I mean, you show someone a great thing, they're going to want to do it. Yeah. Well, of course they're going to want to do it and they have every right to do it. And if somebody's listening to this conversation, it might be easy to think, wow, sour grapes, man. Like, wow, that, like, what are these guys talking about? Like, everybody's got a right to, to go do that. And I don't really think that that's, that's the conversation that I intended on having is like, oh, there should be no new guides. There shouldn't be this. I think that we're both um, understanding that everybody's got the right to do that. But maybe there are better ways to do it than others. And like, say, for instance, that guy that, that we just discussed, that guy that is, is kind of a client and, and he, and then he turns into a guy. Great, man. That's awesome. I had plenty, I had that happen many times. And first of all, I'm thankful that that guy came to me to give me the business to begin with, because I need all the charters I can get. Right. And he was a cool guy, seemed great, enjoyed fishing with him. And he says he's going to get his own boat. Okay, cool. That's cool. Um, maybe he even buys one of my old boats, which is even better, right? Like, okay, cool. I sold a boat. I sold it to this guy. He's a friend now and, and everything's happening. It's really cool. And then it's kind of like, there's two ways that that can go from there. He can just kind of disappear and you don't talk to him much anymore. And, and he just kind of shows up in all the same spots that you took him to. Or there's the guy that kind of, calls up and says, Hey man, you know, I was thinking, I know it's the same tide as that place that you always went. I really don't want to get in your way. I know you got charters and stuff, but I was thinking about fishing there. So if I see you there, I'll, I'll get out of the way. Oh, okay, cool, man. Well, I'm not going there tomorrow. I'm, I'm headed to a different direction. So you know what? I'll call you and find out how it was. So now you have another source of information and it could be looked at as, as a good thing. And now you're kind of working together with somebody and the guy is being very respectful and, and offering up, he's offering something like, Hey, can I help you to do something like you've, you've helped me to, to get into this. I mean, don't you see like 
would you say that that would maybe be a a better way? Oh, like absolutely. It, the same guy's going to get into fishing. He's going to he wants to be a guide. He's going to get into being a guide. Like there's there's a couple of ways you can go about it. That's obviously definitely, a better way ways you can play that card for sure. Yeah. And uh if he's a good guy, Have he's going to he's going to he's not going to he's going to be respectful and like the story you told, that's going to be that's going to be a thing, but then you know in the worst case scenario, things aren't going to be as pleasant. And yeah, I mean, but but for the most part, there's very few who go against the grain and don't go about it the way you said it in your story. Very few. Yeah. So when that happens, what ends up happening to that to that person? You're talking about when they when they go about it the wrong. Yeah, way. when they're when they're going about it the wrong way, somebody you know doesn't do it that way. Nothing happens to them. I mean, you know, they, they still get their charters and they still take their charters, but it's just, you know, they've got to understand what they're doing. And when they go to bed at night, that they're doing it the wrong way. And that I guess it all comes down to like, like, like you said, Jupiter Fishing Academy teaching them when they're young. That's an important thing is teaching kids while they're young. So then they understand these things and they understand, you know, on the water, giving everyone else space. And that's just, I don't know. It's everyone's got a different character in the end. That's very true. But oftentimes that character can, can come out in different ways. And, and I always think that like, I have this other kind of conversation going with another guy that wants to do a podcast on, on etiquette on tarpon fishing. And so I was thinking about it and, and I was kind of, I often do a lot of thinking while I'm working out and, or afterwards. And I was thinking, you know, there's, there's really two things that happen with etiquette on the water. Like you got the guy that just doesn't know. He's just bumbling around, running over everybody's fish, getting too close to people. And he just doesn't know. And then you got the other guy that absolutely knows and he's doing it anyway. Now that is unacceptable. The guy that just doesn't know, like he's unprepared. He just doesn't know. He doesn't know. He's never fished for tarpon in this certain situation or never fished in the Jupiter Inlet in this certain situation. He just thinks, oh, I'll just drift on by. Or maybe he's usually a really nice guy, too. That's the thing. Yeah. And so you can't really get too mad at him. You just want to educate him. And I've seen that so many times. And that's what you do is you you just kind of try and put it as nicely as you can and say, you know, um, you ran over those fish, man. You spooked those fish. Um, I didn't want to yell at you or anything, but I want to tell you now. And that's that's probably the way to do it is to educate him in a nice way instead of freaking out on the right. water. Right. But, you know, it's hot. You're sweating. You, you hadn't caught any fish all morning. You finally got the situation you're looking for. It's about to happen. And here comes this guy and runs the whole situation. And there's a lot of emotions. Your clients are getting mad. This is a really important client. You really want to do a great job for this person. And for whatever reason, it's been a very difficult morning. And here come, here it is. We finally got the setup. We're in the right place. The anchor held. The bait's alive. The fish are behind us. It's about to happen. And here comes so-and-so and just messes up the whole thing. Completely unintentional. There's a lot of emotions going on right there. And it's very easy to freak out on the water. But like, I don't know, that's where it really boils down to like good communication skills. It's like you could yell at that guy and maybe 
maybe create an enemy forever. Or you could let it go, call him up, explain the situation, be extremely patient, and you might have a totally different uh, outcome. But boy, it's hard. That's, that's a hard one. Yeah, it's always, it's always tough, especially for that nice guy who just doesn't know, like you said. <laughs> yeah, but I can but be a lot more patient ones. with somebody that, I can be a lot more patient with somebody that just doesn't know than somebody who absolutely knows and is coming in there anyway. And he's arrogant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no, where's the sign that it's your efficient spot? That's always a good one. Like, I didn't see the sign. It says it's your spot. Oh, okay. There's not one. <laughs> Do you own the ocean? No, no, I, I don't. I don't, but I don't think you do either. And um, maybe we could, can't we just all get along, man? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes that's what you want to say. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't, I don't like uh, confrontation on the water. I don't like any of that stuff. So I typically just, just bail out. And on some of those bailouts, you know, it's so tough. But like we talked about before, if you stick around and start arguing, it's it's only going to be a negative. So many times I have left what I thought was a really good situation only to find a better situation that in no way would I ever have found unless I had bailed out of that one because I was at the place I wanted to be during the tide I wanted to be there. If it's like that, I'm going there every time. But then you're forced to leave and go and have to find something else. And maybe you end up doing the opposite. Like instead of fishing for tailing fish, you're going looking at a channel on that same tide. And you're like, whoa, look what's here. Like I would never would have found this. And, you know, I don't know. It's all about patience. or And that's where that's where an experienced guide comes in, because that new guy who really is an experienced, who has his captain's license, he catches some fish for his charters, he's going to sit at that spot all day. There's going to be mm-hmm. your experienced guide who says, you know what, I'm shut out of this spot. I'm not going to go, you know, intrude on everyone else. I'm going to go try and find something else, and he'll go save the day and make it happen. And that's that's yeah. the difference. And maybe, between- and maybe in doing that, he learns something himself. Like- exactly. Wow, I found a whole new spot. This opens up a whole new world. And then, you know, just like you're talking about, like the guy that doesn't know much or the part-time guide or 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 somebody that, you know, really doesn't have a lot of spots in their in their in their arsenal. They know that on an incoming tide, they got to be here and that's it. And don't know what else to do. Never found anything anywhere else. So, today's not a, you know, today I got a paying customer. I'm going right to the meat and I'm staying there no matter what, no matter who's there, no matter how tight I got to get, no matter, no matter what etiquette I'm breaching, I'm staying there because that's my spot. That's what I know. And just like you're saying, like the, the, the experienced guy is like, hmm, there, there's a lot of spots, you know? And, uh, you know, even if I need to go find something, let's look at this as an opportunity. Like, Rarely do I get the opportunity to go explore on a charter. So here we go. We're shut out. We got no option except explore. And usually that usually that turns out better anyway. Even if you catch nothing, you're catching nothing on a beautiful day. 
by yourself telling jokes to your clients and everybody's happy <laughs> as opposed to sitting right next to five other boats yelling at one another. Um, so what about, um, you do a lot of freshwater fishing too, right? I love bass fishing. I love bass fishing with swim baits. I like throwing big baits for big fish. That's just like one of my passions. It's just another way for me to get out of the, uh, you know, the routine of saltwater fishing every single day. Yeah. And when you're going bass fishing, like in your area, are you doing it on foot? Are you doing it in a boat mostly or both? Or I know Um, that you have great opportunity to fish these little lakes like where you are. It's unbelievable. You know, South Florida is all water. You know, we've got canal systems. We've got, we've got golf courses. We have residential lakes that are unbelievable that are, that are fed by canal systems that are fed by Lake Okeechobee. So you've got the shad, you've got the bait, you've got these fish that are getting big and fat. And it's just South Florida is just an unbelievable place to bass fish. Then you can go further South, further than me and catch the peacocks, the clowns, the, uh, the snakeheads. It's just, it's, it's endless. Yeah. Um, That's super cool. And do you think that like, a you know, a, a, just a regular kind of guy, do you need a boat to be able to be successful in that, in all that kind of fishing? No, no. You know, I do 90% of my fishing on foot. Um, you know, you just got to be careful where you go. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy because to get. Of tra- because of trespassing or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like I've got customers that'll call me in and they live in great golf communities or live in residential lakes with unbelievable ecosystems that are fed by reserves or just unbelievable good water systems and they have such a healthy ecosystem going on and they call me in and I get permission to fish these places. And, and some people might call it cheating, like catching fish in a barrel, but you know, you still got to work for those fish. You still got to, you still got to finesse them or do what you got to do on the days they're not biting, but it's, it's, it's unbelievable when it's on. And I, I really enjoy yeah. just relaxing out and catching bass. I got a soft spot in my heart for golf course ponds. I really enjoy <laughs> that and call it cheating whatever i like big dumb fish that don't get fished too very often that's my favorite absolutely my favorite and uh you go to one of those golf course ponds and i love to fly fish for the largemouth bass there and stand back like you know like you could be you could stand back from the bank like 40 or 50 feet and throw a long cast across the grass and just have like the end of the fly line hit the bank and then the leader unroll and like you got a little frog that just lands out there, you know, six or eight feet from the bank and work it back to the bank. Oh my gosh, I've had some of the best, most fun days of fishing like that. Because like so many people are like, you know, go straight to the edge of the bank. And and in certain times of the year, you know, those big fish are like right up on the edge of the bank. And God, if you can just, even they, they even feel you walking up there. Like you can see it happen on a calm day. You start walking up there. They feel your footsteps and you see these wakes moving off the bank. Like, whoa, man, there's some big fish there. I just love that, man. Just love it. And fly fishing is just a great way to do it because you can, you know, you can cast from 50 feet back or 40 feet or 30 feet or, you know, well back from the bank to where they're not seeing you. That's so fun. And God, South Florida, you got You've got the the king daddy bass down there. Yeah, you know, we've got, you know, we've got the Everglades. There's just so many opportunities to fish. And, you know, I get on Google sometimes and I just do scouting. You pull up Google Maps and you turn on the satellite image and you just look around. 
and you do scouting and you find canals, you look out west, you try and figure out where you can go, try some new areas. And, you, and it's unbelievable how you can find these little canal systems or, you know, lake, lakes, reservoirs, and you go there and it, and it's sometimes it's, it's just home run. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And then for a kid, like a 16 year old kid that's got a driver's license and a car and a phone with Google Maps on it. Man, that's like lifetimes of fishing. <laughs> I didn't have that <laughs> you know? when I was 16. I mean, no, like Google Maps is unbelievable. I mean, that thing, that shows you everything. And for somebody that didn't grow up with an iPhone in their hand, I mean, like I once found this uh, aerial photo of the Marquesas. It was just like a little 8 by 10 photo. And it was a satellite photo. It looked just like what we have now, except probably less resolution. You know, you couldn't see every leaf on the tree like you can on Google Maps or in some of these other aerial photos. But we had this, we had this, uh, me and Simon Becker, we had this, this eight by 10 picture taken from, I, I don't know if it was from an airplane, probably from an airplane. And somehow we got our hands on it. And we used to just pour over that picture. Just looking at that. And that's the only picture we had. Everything else was charts. And I just remember just, we would just look at that thing and look at that thing and look at that thing. Oh, look at this little hole right here. Look how this channel does this. We didn't know it did that. Look how this, and this is in a clear water area. Like what you can find in the Everglades and what you can, what you can find in, you know, like the 10,000 islands area right now by looking on Google Maps. It's unbelievable. It's such a huge, incredibly huge advantage. I, I get um, uh, fascinated by just, just looking at all that stuff, like you're talking about with all those lakes and stuff. You can do the same thing on your in every area. Yeah. It's huge, yeah. huge advantage. I used, check it, I used to check it out and look at the reefs on the bank of the Bahamas there. When we'd go run across, I'd say, hey, I just found this new little rock that looks like it'd be really good. you know. And, and you could see all that. And it's, it's just such an incredible tool. Yeah. It's awesome, man. That's cool. Hey, so, um, one other thing I want to talk about, what's your, what's your road to fitness? Because, uh, when I follow you on the, on the Instagram, I see, man, you're eating healthy, you're working out, you're, you're doing all kinds of stuff. And, um, I don't know, is like, how long, how long have you been on this road? Well, I've always tried to be, you know, fit and stay in shape and everything. Um, I trained jujitsu for like eight years and, you know, my knees started getting messed up. Everything started falling apart. I really love the jujitsu. I love, you know, training mixed martial arts, but it's just, it, it, my body started falling apart. The last couple of years here, I started going to the gym and lifting weights and it, and it just felt really good. And I feel like I've been strengthening all those areas. You know, I throw the cast net all the time. Sometimes I throw a 32-pound net to catch sardines in 40 foot of water. And my rotator cuff on my shoulders are just destroyed. And I'm 33 years old. So I started really, Mm -hmm. really concentrating on strengthening my shoulders and my back, my lower back. All those areas that get stressed from fishing, from being on the boat all day and pounding. Of Of course, I can't fix the compression that's put on my discs and everything. But I, I, I really just try and concentrate on working those areas that are that need improvement strengthening around those areas that might be weak so that's 
that's really what I did. Um, I got I got a little overweight last year, and I started doing some research. And everyone's got their own opinions. I know I know you've talked to um, <laughs> Lane about about things before, yeah. and he he's yeah. he's real opinionated, and he hates he's got opinions. I don't know if he hates, but but I he's opinionated. So should I say I got into intermittent fasting and some people frown upon it. Some people say it's a joke and some people say it's, you know, it's, it's just a way to get your, your, your deficit of calories is all it is. And it was yes. a system that worked good for me. And I lost 40 pounds and I felt great. I mean, I felt so concentrated and I just felt like I just felt better than I did when I woke up and ate a bunch of carbs. And what did it look like? Like your, your, your schedule when you're when you're doing the intermittent fasting, like how much time are you spending not eating versus how much did what was your schedule? So basically, it's skipping breakfast. I mean, it really wasn't as difficult as it sounds. Um, I would I would get up, I'd go to work, I'd work all day, and I'd eat my lunch. Should you call it at two o'clock? I'd eat a salad, some chicken breasts, and then I'd eat dinner again at six or seven. And then I'd be full. And I wouldn't eat again till the next day at two o'clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that you would find Lane um, having any problem with that. Like his thing is like, you know, I mean, he, everything that he does is based in science, you know. So he's and he is a really smart guy, and he knows the science so well. But his thing is like, look, you know, keto is not going to necessarily work unless you're in a calorie deficit like it's not it's not like the fact that you're not eating carbs it's the fact that when you stop eating carbs you have cut your calories down significantly and that works really well for some people i had a great conversation with him about that i was like so and he's like well if keto works for you great it's keto great do that and he is a really open person about whatever works. And a lot of different things are going to work for a lot of different people. But what he can't stand is when somebody just, just, just gets the science all wrong and is saying that, that keto is working for some reason that is just untrue, right? Like, like that it, it changes your hormones or something like that. And he's like, no, um, no, like you're in calorie deficit and that's why you're losing weight. And when you're, when you're, you know, drinking a cup of coffee that has a half a stick of butter in it and, and, you know, five tablespoons of coconut oil. And it's, it's, uh, you know, a thousand calories. Oh, that's fine. If that's what you want to eat, but it's a thousand calories. So you need to be aware of that when you go to eat, you know, your all bacon lunch that is, you know, 4,000 calories. Like, okay, now you got 5,000 calories and you're, not doing anything to burn any like that's that's not and i I dabbled in the keto um, a little bit but i didn't like the diet i I, didn't it didn't agree with my body i dabbled in it too like i i I don't know i'm fascinated with the whole with with everything probably as fascinated as 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 i am with so many things about fishing i'm just fascinated with it and i hear all this stuff about keto i'm like i wonder if that would work so i try it for a month like i don't i don't do anything for less than a month. Like if I decide I'm going to try something, I'll try it for a month and see how I feel. If it's good, I'll keep doing it. If it's not, I'll stop. If certain parts of it were good and other parts weren't, 
then I'll bring those into my daily routine. And if not, okay, cool. Wasn't for me. Might work for other people. That's great. Not for me. And um, I don't know. I think I, I would have a hard time. I mean, I like, I enjoy eating vegetables. I enjoy eating, you know, some carbs. And that is good. I, I mean, I don't know. I just felt like I didn't think that I was going to be able to stay on keto forever. Where, like, the plan that I do is more like portion control. Like, you know, uh, people say watch your macros or whatever. So, you know, or other people are like the zone. So it's like, you know, 40% of your calories come from carbohydrates, 30 from protein, 30 from fat. Pretty simple. Balanced diet. And it doesn't matter what you eat. You just kind of try to eat in that, in that ratio. And what I've learned about it so much is like half a piece of bread. You can eat a half a piece of bread or you can eat a bowl of a giant bowl of broccoli. Like if you're hungry, you can eat massive quantities of certain foods and other foods. You, you have just a, a bite of it and it's the same amount of calories or the same amount of carbohydrates. And, uh, I don't know. I learned a lot about food, like which ones to stay away from, which ones make me fat. <laughs> Those are also the ones that I like the best. They're like cookie dough. I love cookie dough. I could eat cookie dough all day long, every day and, and not eat anything else. That's probably my favorite food. Cookie dough. It's not very good for you. It's delicious. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, how much time are you spending working out? So I always start out with cardio. Um, I like to do 35 minutes of cardio and then, um, I'll work out for an hour to an hour and a half. I work out intense. I don't just go there and not sweat. I mean, I work out with intensity. I don't take much breaks. That's just, that's just how I try and do everything in life. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. um, but you mm -hmm. want to get out of there feeling that pump and you want to feel good. And I, I get my heart going and and that's what I think is important when you work out rather than those guys you see, they're just like kind of just in there just to go to the gym, but they're not sweating. Walking around, not, drinking water. Yeah. The newspaper. They're not sweat. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I try and stay hydrated, but in between my sets, I'm not, I don't have time to go get that water. I'm just, I'm, I'm super setting. I'm doing another set. I mean, I, I just want to keep it going. And I just like, so what do you think? Um, what do you think this change in your eating and, and, and this alteration of, of the way that you're working out, how has it affected your fishing and your ability to go maybe more days in a row? Or what, what do you think it's done for you? You know, everybody's been on the boat and they brought that big public sub and they ate that sub. <laughs> and after that, they just wanted to sit up on the front seat. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I try not to eat too much on the boat. Because when I, I feel that when you, know, you ingest those carbs or you eat a heavy meal, you start drinking beer, you don't, you, you're not the same you. You don't have that drive. You don't have that energy. You don't have that go. And I, I, I bring light, you know, I'll bring some grilled chicken breasts on the boat and I feel great. I feel like I can go all day. My charter gets off and I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go to the gym now. It's all about diet. Like, you know, you know, that's, that's how you learn to feel good. You learn your body, your diet, and that's what, is going to keep you going all day. Mm -hmm. What about the strengthening and the ability to, you know, feel better? Like you're talking about your shoulders and your lower back. A lot of guys uh, that throw the net a lot suffer from like frozen shoulder or some sort of a some sort of a, a 
shoulder issue. Has the what you're doing has that gotten you more mobility in the shoulder? Are you able to throw the net better? Yeah, I feel like I can pick up that 32 pound net and I can huck that thing a mile now. I, I feel great. Um, when it comes to getting in the kingfish bite and we're doing drifts and catching 30, 40 fish on the deck, I don't, you know, I feel great. You know, when you're, when you're in shape and you're eating the right food, you're not going to stop. You're just going to keep going and going and going. And I, I used to, you know, my back would start hurting and you need to take a break. But now that I feel like I've kind of trained those areas and conditioned them, I feel like I, I can go a lot harder than I used to. It's definitely, definitely, you know, makes a difference rather than, you know, eating the wrong foods, going home and sitting on the couch rather than, you know, it's just, it's, it's made a big, big, big turn in my life as far as that part. You know, the working out and trying to strengthen those, those areas that, that are under stress each day has really made a huge improvement in my fishing and, and my durability and just the amount of time I can spend on the water before I'm fatigued. How much do you think, um, I don't know, the older I get, you're, you're a lot younger than me. I'm 50, but the older I get, it seems like even though the workouts have become more and more and more physical that I'm doing, the benefit is more and more and more mental. And especially like when you're fishing all the time or you're, you're in a, in a job that is stressful, mentally stressful. What do you think about the difference between the mental and the physical on the workouts? Are you seeing advantages like, in, like mentally? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mentally is, is, is part of the reason I go to the gym, not to look good, not to, not to have muscles. Um, but mentally it, 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 you know, you're having a bad day. You're having, you had a rough day on the water. You're tired. You want to go home and go to sleep, but you go to the gym, you get out of the gym and you feel great. That it's so good for your head to just do that, to clear your head. You can think about a lot while you're working out. Like you said, you usually think up ideas, but it's just, it's just a really important time for me. That's become, I know you can relate to it. Yeah. You know, a lot of people talk about meditation and stuff and, and how important it is. I always thought like running or doing some kind of a, an extended thing, repetitive walking can do it. Running definitely does it for me. A long row, some kind of a long bike to where that's where I get my best thinking for sure. And like I can go Sometimes you don't even know that it happens, but you know, if I go out for a run and I've got a lot of things on my mind, I come back and sometime in that day, it's not like all of a sudden this light bulb goes off. Sometimes that happens, but it's kind of like, I just had a different way of processing whatever the issue was and an answer just kind of materializes. And I, I can tell, I mean, I'm thinking differently because of the of the run or because of the time that I was able to spend, you know, away from the phone, away from anyone else, not talking to anyone, just out there. Like I call it moving meditation, like the running and the working out can be the same, you know, but it seems to me like there's certain things that are better for it than others. Um, as far as the thinking goes, like long runs, long hikes, long walks, long rows, something like that does it for me. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. That's cool, man. Well, I love to uh I love to see 
see people um, turning around like that and get back on the get back on the train. That's awesome. You're doing a great job with it. Okay, well, you got anything else you want to talk about? Um, <laughs> some of the topics you might not want to hear. I'm just kidding. I do. We can talk about anything. That's up to you, Tom. <laughs> you, you, it's all yours, man. Go for it. Where, where do you want to take it? You know, we we kind of touched into that. I was catching Pompano. That's a really neat thing. And uh, if you want to, I can tell you about the rigging and what we use yeah. and how we catch. I'll tell you what. Let's do that on a How to Tuesday right after this, and we'll share it with everybody. Awesome. Okay. Um, well, listen, Matt. I got to come down there and go fishing with you again. I really, I really enjoyed um, spending some time with you. You're, you're a great person to spend the day with, you know, a tremendous amount about your fishery and the bait. I learned a lot about, about bait, how you're catching bait, what baits are the the best for the the fish that you're going after. And in the case of what we were doing, we were snook fishing, but yeah, I learned a lot and I really enjoyed it. So love to come back down there and do that again with you. If somebody else wants to do that with you, let them know how they get in touch with you. Um, they can get a hold of me on either my website, jupiterfishingacademy.com, or my Instagram, Captain Matt Bud, or Facebook, Matt Bud. Those are probably the best, best easy ways. And then they can see what's going on. I, I keep up to date with my Instagram, as you see. I'm constantly posting stories and keeping everybody in the loop of what I'm doing or what's going on. So You've been doing a lot of YouTube videos, too. Yeah, actually, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to get into the YouTube world. It's a great thing. Um, that's a whole other topic right there. Um, it's just, it's, it's something that I feel can help expand my business and, you know, educate people a little bit, but not only that, you know, there's people are making a lot of money on YouTube these days. And that's another whole other topic. Like I said, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, never in my life have I seen so many successful YouTubers in such a small area. I didn't realize how many people were from Jupiter, but you've got, or, or the Jupiter area you got in your area, you've got deer meat for dinner. You've got Paul Cafaro. Who else? Black tip H is nearby. Those are, those are like three of the biggest YouTubers on YouTube, not not to mention just outdoors hunting and fishing. There's probably more. What about um, Catch 'Em All? Catch 'Em All, catch another one of, huge. He's one of my good friends. Man, he's he's huge. I mean, so much, so much is going on there. It's crazy. Why do you think it is that that, that there's so many successful YouTubers there? Um, I I guess I guess it's because of the fishing. I mean, well. Paul and Catch 'em All, they've got their own category. And, so, you know, it's that whole pond craziness. The kids are loving. It's crazy. And those guys have, I mean, like Paul Cafaro, he, I, I got to get him on the show. I really want to. He's just created this, this thing. Not only did YouTubing not exist a few years ago, but now he's like, he's like making a living feeding fish and building aquariums and it, and having ponds. And it's, and people are crazy for it. And he's got this awesome personality that's really suits itself to that that medium. I, very interesting to see to see how that's going. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. They've evolved that. And, you know, a lot of those guys started out fishing, but then they got into 
that whole pond and in, in, in aquaculture well, aqua almost because they're raising fish, you know, they have stories and names for their fish and that's kind of, it's really intriguing to a lot of people. So, so that's, that's definitely been very good on their part. But then you got, you know, black tip, Josh is a serious fishing channel. He's, he's very dedicated to what he does. And I have a lot of respect for him for that because he never deviates his way and he always fishes and he catches fish. Yeah. That's cool with him. I had him on the, on the podcast. It was cool to see how he started and built that a guy that I don't even think I don't I don't think he owns a boat today. So there's a guy that no. didn't own a boat, got so many things working against him, and uh, is is able to you know create this life. It's really cool. But I don't know. That's a that's a subject for another day, I guess. We'll talk about all the YouTube <laughs> stuff and the and the the pompano fishing. But um, well, cool, Matt. I uh, appreciate you getting on here with me, and we'll do another one. Uh, we'll do another one when I come see you. Uh, and we catch more of those big snook. And I'd like to see what you do offshore too. Like I've never never fished offshore with you. That'd be fun. That'd but anyway, be man, fun. thanks for thanks for doing it. And for everybody else, we'll see you next week. <laughs>